Maybe that's a feeling of agitation caused by the presence or imminence of danger. Why do you think people believe in ghosts? soft drink speaks of the ark leveling mountains and laying waste to entire regions. Not something to be taken lightly. No one knows its secrets. Jones, do you realize what the ark is? It's a transmitter. It's a radio for speaking to God. An army which carries the ark before it is invincible. The ark, if it is there, Tarnis, then it is something that man was not meant to disturb. It is protected by forces beyond imagination. 
It is desired above all treasures on earth by those who are good, trust me, and those who are evil. I'll tell you everything. Yes, I know you will. Raiders of the Lost Ark. Let her go. If you still want the Ark, it has been loaded onto a truck for Cairo. Raiders of the Lost Ark. A film from Steven Spielberg and George Lucas. That's it. Screw you and your college flunkies. I've had enough of this from you and from everyone else. I know what you guys are trying to do. Break me down, drive me out of the force. Well, it's going to take a hell of a lot more than a lame prank like this to get Curtis Mooney to throw in his badge, so fuck you. Over. Did you miss me? And it's liftoff. Hello, ladies and ge gentlemen. Hello. Welcome back to Inside Movies Galore. I am your host, David Stregge. And here in the room, we are back for another video film adventure. Uh, but uh, let me take you right over to our host, Jake. Uh, tell us what's in store for us tonight. Why don't you? All right. By popular demand, and I do mean this, we apparently... Uh, Got a pretty good participation in the votes for this month, and uh, this was the clear winner, so that's kind of yeah, cool. Uh, <laughs> we have uh, the 1981 classic action-adventure film uh, directed by uh, Steven Spielberg, produced by George Lucas, uh, called, uh, called Raiders of the Lost Ark. And um, in case any of you are unfamiliar somehow with that. Uh, it is the first in the Indiana Jones franchise. Um, and I am still trying to bring up my computer, but I don't need the IMDb synopsis because I pretty well remember it. Basically, this is a story about uh, archaeologist and, who moonlights as basically a grave robber, uh, Indiana Jones who uh, is brought by the U.S. government on a collision course with uh, some Nazis and a French archaeologist named Balot, who's working with them, as they are both looking for the uh, legendary Lost Ark of the Covenant. And, of course, action, adventure, a little bit of hilarity, and a whole lot of whip-cracking. <laughs> uh, 
<laughs> and explosions ensue. <laughs> snakes. So, Why it gotta be snakes? Yes, snakes. Definitely snakes. Lots and lots of them. Uh, <laughs> so I guess if everyone wants to kind of uh, go around, we can go around and talk uh, first impressions, what they uh, think of it, and I guess we'll start uh, let's start with you, Mel. What's your impression with this one? Um, well, I've definitely seen this a ton. We used to rent it from the library a lot when I was a little kid. And mm-hmm. I like it. I think over the years, Temple of, Temple of Doom was always my favorite before, but this has grown on me more and more each time I watch it because it's just classic, and it's got all the all the things you love about Indiana Jones were kind of present right in this first movie. Uh, you pretty much covered all the, the strong points of it, I think, you know, the things that initially would attract you to it, and I think it's it does an amazing job of balancing, like, the humor and the comedy and the, the action and all that stuff really well, so it doesn't ever really feel silly. It's just a kick-ass movie. Mm-hmm. That's all I can really all say. Right. All right. <laughs> uh, Dustin, how about you? Now, I can't, this is one of those movies where you don't quite remember the first time you saw it because you saw it really, really young. Like, I, I think I caught it on TV at least before I was 10. Um, and for the longest time, I thought it was just called Indiana Jones. I didn't know Raiders of the Lost Ark was part of the title. So I was just like, oh, what's that? It's like, oh, <laughs> Indiana Jones and duh. So. That was that was kind of the most interesting story I had with my experience with this movie. I mean, what can you really say? Like, it's such a it's such an iconic classic. It's kind of I'm trying to think of stuff I can say that hasn't already been said. You know, it's just well-rounded kick-assery. You know, it's it's yeah, and that's sort of your impression of it. <laughs> it's just wow, this this sure kicks ass. It's like a, it's an action adventure movie. Like it's got it's a great action adventure movie. Like almost the prototype for like a good action adventure movie. You know, it's got good jokes like here and there, mm-hmm. like convincing effects, and just it gives you everything you want. <laughs> All right. All right. How about you, Dave? Well, um, I believe that I was uh, introduced to this on television. Believe it or not. Um, my dad, uh, my dad would lo- uh, love to wa- uh, watch all three of the uh, these whenever they were on, on and uh, oftentimes they were on USA Network. <laughs> um, and uh, well, uh, I'm going to put it like this: uh, Steven Spielberg uh, kind of uh, said that it's like the James Bond of movies without the, uh, you know, uh, without the. <laughs> The, the um the stuff the uh, uh the gadget <laughs> all that jazz you know <laughs> okay but no um, he's got a couple gadgets but they're a little more low key <laughs> <laughs> yeah but um I, I like this uh, uh, film a lot a lot of times because. Uh, I mean especially re- uh, re- uh, recently um uh, since I've been. I've been kick, uh, kicking back with some older we- uh, westerns. I remember Zorro having a whip, um, mm-hmm. and um, just recently, Ilya have been carousing uh, Lash Larue uh, from back in the day, uh, day and uh, he had a whip. So uh, to, uh, to, uh, going uh, going back 
to people that actually had whip, uh, whips besides Ilsa, she woke with the SS. Um, <laughs> uh, you get a, se a sense that, you know, this archaeologist is kind of an old-time old Western uh, 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 guy who's going on these kick-ass expeditions. Uh, he ma he right. makes the... He makes the office work look uh, look like an adventure, you know. Right. <laughs> the um, well, as, as as they say in the fourth movie, you're a teacher. <laughs> 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 but um, and they do sneak in a little western at the start of Last Crusade with that whole India is a teenager in the desert canyon. You know, that was a nice little se segment. But um. <laughs> How about you, Brandon? Well, I had a weird experience with Indiana Jones. Um, Temple of Doom was the very first Indiana Jones film I saw, which was on TV, because that was the one that they showed on TV the most often. Uh, and uh, it was by far still my favorite of the trilogy. Uh, so that, and uh, I then saw... Uh, the Last Crusade. That was the second one I was introduced to. And I watched that once, but I was freaked out by the uh, last scene in it and didn't watch it again for a time. And then finally I was introduced to uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark, which I had... Uh, I had seen so many references to by that time. I felt like I had watched it already. I remember watching UHF and that entire first uh, first part was recreated uh, in comedic form throughout. <laughs> and I must admit that was a uh, that, that to me just felt too familiar when I first saw it. And this, to this day, I when I rewatched it, I felt very differently about it because I'd always thought when I when I watched King of the Crystal Skull and I watched that one in theaters, and I thought, well, this is over the top. But then when I rewatched Last Crusade, so I don't think that Last Crusade, uh, there's the Lost Ark again, and after for probably the first time since watching that. I thought to myself, well, maybe it's not as over the top as uh, as I thought it was. Um, but to me, it, it was kind of interesting revisiting this movie and trying to remember a lot of the stuff that I had previously forgotten from years past. Right. Good deal. Um, for me, personally, I have to admit, I... I can I agree with Dustin. I couldn't tell you when I first saw this movie. Um, I couldn't tell you what order I first saw them all in. I mean, I I like to say I literally grew up with the Indiana Jones movies. Not I, I hate being too specific about my age, but the uh, Raiders. Yeah, I, I, I we're basically the same age. Basically, not quite, but close. Uh, so I, I feel like I grew up with this <laughs> franchise in a lot of ways. Plus, just, you know, I watched them from when I was a kid. I know my dad used to have a hat that was pretty similar to Indies, and he was very proud of that. <laughs> uh, 
I, I know there were a couple of Halloweens where he went, you know, as Indy. Uh, it was always a, uh, a, a, a franchise that we, we enjoyed in, in, in my household growing up. Um, and I never liked Temple. I really didn't. Uh, it's the one that had to grow on me. <laughs> it's the one that had to grow on me. I always loved the Last Crusade. That was my favorite one, and it's still my favorite. But Raiders is probably the best of the bunch in a lot of ways. Um, and I, I'll talk a little more on the specific uh, there later. But um, it, I'm, I do apologize if that cat in the background is causing too much noise. Hey, he's excited. Oh, he's, 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 I really wound up tonight. But at any rate, um, yeah, this is a franchise that I definitely grew up with. I've always been quite fond of Raiders. Um, and one thing we have not mentioned yet, the absolutely iconic music to it. And I've always loved the music. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so there's some, uh, some good stuff. Yeah, well, that's what it was rather iconic. Uh, <laughs> so some good stuff all around. So at any rate, we go ahead. Uh, I already covered a lot of the broad strokes of the plot, but to the film does start with a fun little sequence set, uh, I believe, in Peru, somewhere in South America. Uh, that features the first ever screen role of Alfred Molina, who very, very gifted actor. Uh, and he and, and uh, Harrison Ford is Indiana Jones, and one other dude are looking for this lost idol in the jungle, and the one dude splits. And then you have the, the same sequence with the spiders, and then the famed much spoofed sequence of trying to match the weight of the idol so you don't set off the booby traps. And then the famed much spoofed sequence with the giant boulder. <laughs> and uh, Dan, is this what you were talking about in UHF? Is that the sequence that we oh, yeah. uh, ah. and There's some basic differences like when he whips the gun out of the guy's hand Instead, Weird Al ends up ripping the guy's arm off. <laughs> Whereas the other guy, when he flees, instead of just fleeing, he flees out the uh, side of the cave and gets hit by a train. That's beautiful. Uh, <laughs> and one of the more iconic scenes where he's like doing that, and he does the exact same thing. He's weighing it, but instead of actually uh, the gold medal, it's an Oscar. And instead of switching it, he just tosses out the sand and grabs it. <laughs> right. Yeah, the one I remember is like the crummy family guy one where like they show him like ready to, getting ready to do the switch for like a minute and then some guy in the mm -hmm. background just shouts, Do it already if any of you haven't seen UHF, it is a great spoof comedy, and uh, anybody who hasn't should definitely watch it. I need to see it. <laughs> Very good. Point. I, I remember that one, but I, I, well, I, ba I barely remember it. I know I saw it. I think you showed it to me, but I, I don't remember the specifics. But um, 
And anyway, Who doesn't make it out from the boulder in that one? <laughs> <laughs> and then, and then you get the part where he runs into the plane. He gets in the plane. All the natives are after him. They're going to kill him. They've already killed it. Once the guy that defected. And, and this is where you're first introduced to Block. So this is actually an important uh, thing. The lock catches them outside the cave and takes the idol from them and then sends the Indians after them. I always love that. Yeah, yeah, that was he does, like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Or like he just, he just, uh, just does the, uh, he across the third <laughs> And then, of course, uh, Indy jumps in the plane and they're taking off and there's this giant snake in the cockpit and he's like, that's where you first see Indy's uh, major weakness. This is, um, Indy is a textbook feature. I know, Seth, and you're going to uh, understand this reference. Um, the, uh, the, the, we did the Slayers game, uh, RPG game, that, uh, they have what they call the bold feet, where this character is very brave and very bold, and it, nothing slows them down, but they have one crippling fear. <laughs> <laughs> of course, in the case of Indy, it's snakes. He just does not like them. I sort of love snakes myself, and I kind of, I'm like, do they really have to pick on the snakes? Uh, you'd be fearful in the situation he was in in that movie. <laughs> yeah, well, the one, the one that comes yeah. along later, yes. Yeah, those vipers so were pretty wicked. Right. So we'll get to that a little later. So like I said, uh, you're introduced to Indy, and he is a college professor. He does genuinely teach, <laughs> teach archaeology, um, you know, very time at least. <laughs> very rarely and so you, you, you very rarely see him in the classroom well the movies would be much less exciting if it was all a classroom it's just a front anyways <laughs> for the grave robbing I mean he just has to have a few hours a week so that he's like technically on the payroll kind of yeah thing. that Birkin hair kind of a concept Indy is technically a quote legitimate businessman well, I have uh, an office, I guess. Uh. Right. So, and this is also you're introduced. Uh, I guess I'm kind of hitting characters. So, if you guys want to jump in on characters as we get to them, but yeah, but um, this I, is where we so are. I guess, Marcus. Yeah. So, I guess um, any commentary on the lock before we move on, or do y'all want to? Straight gangster okay. man, like the mm -hmm. whole movie, he's just he's savage. Yeah. I think mm -hmm. and there's so many moments in it that sort of showcase that, like when he basically yeah. drinks her under the table later on in the movie, or I think it shows up in list videos. The part where he basically eats a fly in the candy, <laughs> like doesn't even flinch, man. And he has probably one of the best maniacal laughters in any movie ever. I think. Hey, Anywhere he seems to be, oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, anywhere he seems to be, 
uh, he, he seem, seems to command more men than Indiana Jones can. So, <laughs> well, he's, he's like Nazi sponsored, like, right. Yeah, he's an but he's character. Like, he's, uh, he's got this kind of, I guess, sophistication to him, but he's right. still like a total scumbag. It's like, he's like, well, he is an evil professor, right. but you really, you really feel it, you know? I think at one point he actually does say, I think in that first intro, he actually says to Indiana Jones, uh, you know, we're not that different. You know, we do the same thing, basically. Or the only thing is, he's a, he's a little less uh, concerned about things like scruples and, and morals and, and that sort of thing. But well, um, he's, he's got the famous watch scene where he's talking about, yeah. yeah, this watch is worth next to nothing. But if I bury it for a thousand years, then I could sell for a fortune, basically. But then it becomes mm -hmm. price, right. actually. <laughs> yes. And uh, he says something like, even this watch could become, uh, you know, valuable, you know, like, uh, so could you. <laughs> yeah, that's my favorite part, where it's like, maybe yeah. someday you'll be worth something. That's right. Wicked bird. Um, he he had a, there was a description I read and uh, I heard in one of the commentaries, uh, not a commentary. I, my edition of this film, these films, does not have a commentary track, but it does have some really cool bonus features. But uh, I think it's Spielberg himself who calls Belot and um, and the guy. Uh, I'm drawing a blank on the financier for the museum from Last Crusade. But um, he calls them, uh, or, or I think it was Spielberg who called them the champagne villains. <laughs> but, you know, that's a pretty good uh, description, I think. They're kind of like, they're, they're, they're like the, the, the top shelf villains, and then the Nazis are like the bottom shelf. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I just think that's kind of a fun way to look at it. But, um, but then, speaking of the museum, you know, Indy's uh, 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 got his friend Marcus Brody, who runs the museum, and Brody is a hoot. He doesn't get much to do in Raiders. He was much more in Last Crusade, but he's a fun little side character. Uh, he's, he's like the cue to, uh, to, uh, to, to his extreme bondish character, you know, uh, you know, he's, he's always gotta be there, the, uh, he's always gotta, uh, gotta be that side, uh, on the side somewhere, right. uh, uh, I mean, besides, uh, Gimli, the dwarf. Uh, you know, so. It feels more like Q would be if Q was from the original Casino Royale. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, and actually, that's where probably, well, I'll get to that. We'll go ahead and throw this out there. Spielberg had said, uh, when they first were discussing this with George Lucas, he, he told him, he was like, I kind of want to do a Bond film. And Lucas is like, I got one better. <laughs> but, you get a little bit of a Bond vibe in the Indiana Jones, especially, I think, I rewatched all four of them. I feel like Temple particularly has a Bond vibe to it. Well, what's interesting... All of them kind of do. What's interesting is that um, George Lucas did not want Harrison Ford for the role originally. Right. They um, almost had sure. Magnum P.I. in the role. Exactly. <laughs> Which would have been... Oh, that mustache <laughs> That mustache would have been fantastic. Tom Selleck. 
covered. It would have been a different world we're living in. <laughs> but um, yeah, yeah, it's uh, it's kind of interesting. So yeah, well, I guess. Um, uh, so you get the he get he's presented with the task of find the the Ark of the Covenant and. This takes him to Nepal, where he's looking for his old uh, colleague, friend, mentor, Adner, who uh, instead he meets Adner's daughter, Marion Ravenwood, who uh, has a history with Indy. Um, so, and of course, what do y'all think of her introduction? The, well, her, uh, her introduction is this like elaborate drinking game. Yeah, um, which is why I had you guys watch that Jackie Chan film because I swear to God, they imitate that exact drinking uh, game in that uh, in that uh, film, which is earlier than this one. So I think you're right about that. I <laughs> forgot there was a drinking contest in there. Correct, that, and that drink that movie was a trip. <laughs> <laughs> A final fantasy mission force was the name of the film. So, uh, so uh, 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 Jackie Chan played a small little character role, but there there was a drinking game where one of them had to outlast the other, and, and the the whole thing of that gag is the person drinking at the other end actually knows that other person. <laughs> uh, so, uh, so that when they do that, they'll win anyways. So. Hmm. That's, that's yeah. the trick of that drinking game. So I think it comes back to just the idea of like you know yeah. drinking someone under the table. Right. If we looked through films, we'd probably yeah. find a lot of those like coincidentally similar drinking games. You know. And so you have um, Karen Allen, who is not a very very large woman. She's actually kind of small in this film, and she's sitting across the table from this big bear of a dude, this just this big guy, and he, and he, she even plays it, she notes it, makes it seem like she's not doing so hot, and so, you know, you kind of, I, and, and, and I was very amused to re watching some of the, uh, the, the, the actual behind-the-scenes footage of that sequence, uh, she, she did a well, of course, she had a lot of practice with alcohol since her previous big role was Animal House, but... <laughs> I haven't seen that but, in um, so long, I forgot. Uh, it's been a while, but it's a good one, too. The, uh, so she has this great drinking contest, and then as she's cleaning up and closing up, uh, you know, Indy comes in. And they had this great meeting where she, where he's talking, and she walks right up and decks him on. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and that was fun. Yeah, almost kind of, kind of mirroring the Lando thing in Empire Strikes Back. It's like you son of a bitch, and he's just like me. <laughs> I wonder if you know I had not made that connection myself, but I wonder if that was an intentional uh, parallel in any way. It's definitely it's, possible. <laughs> but, um, could be interesting. Um, and, and, of course, Harrison Ford here does play a character who is shades of Han Solo. It's not the same character, but there are definitely some similarities. And, uh, 
the line of people that he's are not super happy to see him is probably similar. <laughs> but, um, yeah. <laughs> and of course, in this case, he and Marion had a fling 10 years ago and they had a falling out. And that's why he had a falling out with her father and all this stuff. And, um, so he respectfully walks away after letting her know what he's looking for. And then the Nazis come in, and this is where you get this really... Uh, I, I'm trying to look into... I'm trying to think whether he's Chinese or German. Because uh, 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 he speaks German, yet he looks Chinese. You know? Who's the manga? The, 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 guy, uh, the, the guy that kind of sounds like Peter Lorre. Yeah, no, no, he's, uh, he's supposed to be playing a German, no doubt about it. That's... Uh, and I don't know exactly. Ronald Lacey was. Yeah, he, he's, a, he's a bit through and through, apparently. Actually, the face of his teeth, unfortunately, <laughs> made him look like the old like Captain America communist Chinese dudes or like propaganda <laughs> back in those times, you know? That might have been like an intentional kind of thing, because I have some Indiana Jones comics from, I think, the early 2000s or 90s, and you can kind of tell a lot of the characters are sort of drawn a little bit that, like, exaggerated style. Right. Like Germans and, like, Japanese, like, action power characters. He reminds me of the judge from Ro who from Roger Rabbit. <laughs> <laughs> Well, he was cast in part because he reminded Spielberg of Peter Lorre, and I have to admit, I, I see the resemblance. I'm like, okay, this is... Uh, he even does a credible, he does a credible imitation of Lorre uh, vocally. <laughs> he doesn't say much, but he sounds like him. But uh, he's a very interesting character. What's that? Yeah, he has it, he plays it with this um, like it's not the worst accent, but it's right. still pretty thick. Like it just reminds me of uh, <laughs> if you've seen the Toxic Avenger, like the Chief of Police. Yes, my Fiona, uh, my yeah. Nero. Yeah. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> like very exaggerated and over the top. Yeah. It, it was making me think of that. <laughs> right, and one thing to keep in mind with these films is that they very specifically and pointedly from the very beginning uh, when George Lucas first had the notion for it and the, when he showed, you know, he and Spielberg, they, from the very beginning, they were trying to pay homage to the old serials of like the 30s and 40s and they're very intentionally over the top. There's a little bit of like the Errol Flynn vibe, a little bit of the you know, the old Tower and Power, that kind of stuff. Danny Kay's adventure. Yeah, right. And they're also supposed to have a little bit of a comic booky feel. Um, I, I was watching the um, the sound editor talking about it being comic book as a film, and that's why a lot of the sound effects are kind of exaggerated and, you know, kind of like a pow sort of thing. Like you'll punch somebody in the face and it'll be like... <laughs> exactly, yeah. Um, so that is, that is the approach. That is the approach they took to Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. Like they wanted to do right. the same thing, but with like a slightly later era of like the sci-fi pulp comics. Right. Uh, which is why that movie was like really out there. 
Um, <laughs> and when you know when you know that that was what they were shooting yeah, for, yeah. the movie is a lot more watchable. And also, mm-hmm. you know, Spielberg is well known to be obsessed with the uh, extraterrestrial. I mean, geez, he's done how many films along that theme? So <laughs> it oh, makes shoot. sense that he would go there. But yeah. I'd really consider it after rewatching uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark. I really did not consider. Uh, this particular, I mean, that film that much more out there than this film in a lot of aspects. It's, uh, it's all over the top action. The biggest thing, I, I've watched all four films again this past week. The biggest difference, which is very noticeable if you watch them all back to back, and we can, we'll, we'll definitely, I'm sure, talk about this at length later, um, you know, once we get into the, the technical things. But the first three films were very old school. They were very old school, a lot of practical effects, a lot of stunt work, and the fourth film is heavy CG. So it's like, it's very obvious if you watch it right after the others. Um yeah, I think that was probably one of the things a lot of people didn't go for. <laughs> Lucas, if Lucas really worked on it, he would have made all the effects in the other three heavily CG. You know, this is how he did when he redid the Star Wars trilogy. Oh, really? Yeah, it's, he loves his... Uh... <laughs> well, exit. we'll get to that when we get to the actual... Uh... <laughs> um, so... So then it turns out, of course, they, what they were looking for was a medallion that helps find the location of what's known as the Well of Souls, which mm-hmm. is the actual resting place of the Ark of the Covenant. And, oh. and what? And supposedly it was in Tennis, correct? Yes. They. Uh, this was something that apparently uh, the Nazis beat Indy to finding this out. Indy found it when he went to Cairo and met his friend Salah, who's played by John Reese Davies. And I have to say, Salah was always one of my favorite characters in this franchise. It's one of the reasons why I think why I didn't like the, uh, Temple as much, because Salah wasn't in it. <laughs> yeah, I was just saying he was hilarious. And of course, his great moment is when they find the Well of Souls, and they look in, and Indy's like, snakes. Why do they have to be snakes? And Solo's like, asps. Very dangerous. You go, you go first. And they're like, they're like, clearly like pythons and stuff. Like, I, I thought that was funny as like a reptile guy. Well, yeah, I mean, there's like pythons, glass lizards. Um, oh, apparently most of them are glass lizards. There were cobras yeah. in there too, so. There were cobras, yes. Um, and there were a lot of snakes. <laughs> Um, it's better than the. Um, oh, no. Go ahead. I was gonna say it's better than Ernest goes to Africa, where they try to pass off a boa constrictor as a cobra. Oh <laughs> <laughs> A lot of things were better than Ernest goes to Africa. Hey now, come on. Uh, <laughs> uh, I love some Ernest movies, but that one was weak. Yeah, stupid <laughs> and the NBA one are the best, I think. I like the fake one. Uh, 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 family Guy joke. 
It's like, I'm not good at tough decisions. And it flashes to, he's at the video store. He's got two tapes. Ernest goes to yeah. Ernest surfing on the shark. Ernest doesn't go to the beach. Ernest on a couch reading a book. So, they made enough of them that, yeah, kind of, yeah. Alright. So, basically, um, and then you have, so, of course, the arc is recovered. Um, Indy and Marion have uh, some time alone in the Well of Souls. Uh, courtesy of the uh, people that throw her in after him. And uh, <laughs> and then you have the big set piece. Once they've gotten out of the tomb, you have the great set piece with the plane and the big burly dude that Indy's fighting. And um, what do you guys think thought on that sequence? Oh. That's a cool. That's a pretty cool sequence. Like it shows that Indiana Jones, like he's tough, but he's not, you know, Superman. Right. Like, one of the one of the cool things about Indiana Jones is he's this great adventure character, and you still see him lose. You still see him like struggle from time and to time. The, and the thing that I always thought about about, about these Indiana films is there's always a big guy that shows up. There's always a big muscular guy that uh, that Indiana Jones can't entirely beat. At, at any given point in time, uh, unless by some immaculate miracle. And his name is Pat Roach. <laughs> this, is a, this apparently is a tradition. There's a stuntman named Pat Roach who plays multiple roles in every single one of the films. And he is that big mechanic in the plane sequence. But he also plays the big boy Sherpa in the uh, sequence in Nepal. Um, and in uh, the temple, he's one of the guards under, you know, in that cult area. Um, and I can't remember the other role he plays in temple. And he had a very brief role in Last Crusade that got mostly on the cutting room floor. But he also had another, you know, like he does multiple roles in each film. And he's like the only stunt person that they actually credit and put front and center as his own characters. It's like it's, a, it's sort of a tradition that they did. That's I think it's pretty cool. fun. Yeah, um, but they did do a lot with uh, stunt work in this one. And um, and I am trying to switch over to my computer. I hope this is working. Give me one moment. Okay, here's one uh, thing that will come up later. Uh, remember, that the, there was this flamboyant swordsman that uh, that was uh, that came out with this big ass knife. Okay. That's, my favorite, that's my favorite scene. Like they're in, uh, they're in like that market square, like running from Nazis and the mercenaries the Nazis have hired, uh, and some big yeah. guy comes out with a sword and like does some really intimidating sword tricks. I mean, it's just like, what are you doing, man? And like blasts him. <laughs> well, that was the funniest shit. In the original script, was supposed to use his whip to get the sword out of uh, the attacker's hand, but at the time he had food poisoning. Yeah, in real life. So, uh, so he just pulled out his gun and just shot him. <laughs> right. That was an asset moment. Well, and also, okay. Hold I've heard several uh, versions of, of, like, that story, and I'm not actually sure which one's correct, because I've heard that, I've heard it was scripted. Uh, it really seems to depend who you ask. 
Right, and I mean, isn't there the whole thing in this one, too, about, I think during the chase scene, his hat kept falling off for something, so he just stapled it to his skull, like an absolute <laughs> savage? I don't know if that's this one or a later one, but I remember hearing that at some point. Well, and I heard another story uh, that supposedly he had, like, some uh, some sort of a small heart attack uh, in one of the movies, so I, I don't know, uh, know whether that's true or not, but... Uh, um, I'm guessing it'd be Crystal Skull. He was getting a bit long in the tooth by that point. Didn't he bust a hip on this new Star Wars movie or something that he was in? Yeah. Oh, yeah, I forgot. Like, they had to, like, completely stop filming for four months or something like that um, because he got hurt. And uh, I, I totally... That further adds to the tragedy of The Force Awakens. It's like, he got hurt for this. I mean, yeah, he okay. maybe gave it his worst possible acting ever, but still. No, no, I have seen much, much, much worse from Harrison Ford. But I actually thought he did more effort with that one than he usually does. But anyway, <laughs> so I'm on now, right? I just want to make sure. Yeah, we got you. Okay, good, good. Because I, I, my phone was already dying, um, but I managed to make it work. Good. <laughs> the, um, oh, jeez. The, uh, yeah, actually, that was one thing in the um, in the notes that I had uh, heard in the interviews and everything. Apparently, Spielberg brought his own food to Tunisia and was, like, the only person that didn't get sick while they were there. <laughs> so, yeah, <laughs> that's definitely, uh, I love that sequence, too. When I was a kid, I thought it was the funniest thing. This guy's showing off the sword and just, bam. <laughs> <laughs> well, why go through all this elaborate sword shit? Right. Shoot the guy already. Right. <laughs> yeah, I was like, well, that um, he's anticlimactic. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. Um, well, anyways, uh, we didn't even get to the part where apparently, uh, oh well, be, be, before that, he had. Acted, um, let's see. So when they went and got the Ark. Mm -hmm. They, uh, they, uh, they uh, apparently were trapped below. Um, and they had to fi uh, uh, find their way to get out of the, uh, that little crypt area to get out, correct? Oh, right, yes. Yeah, they're stuck down there for a while. Yeah. <laughs> With all the skeletons and all that fun stuff. See, that part reminds me a lot of, like, the bug sequence in... Temple of Doom. Ah. <laughs> well, this is, you got the uh, chick going through there, and she's getting all covered in corpses. Argu arguably, yeah. it's probably better than the bug sequence, but we don't got you know a short round telling us they're not fortune cookies. So. Well, she's still angry. She's still angry at Indy for uh, for uh, leaving her back at the tent. So they're yeah. uh, they're arguing, and then all of a sudden she's face to face with the cobra. Yeah. <laughs> I love when she jumps on his back too. That's great. Yeah. The um yeah okay so we uh you you talking about skipping over? We also skipped over the scene in the tent where uh, uh yeah. Balak and um, Marion had their own version of the drinking contest, and he got her to dress up in this fancy dress and all this stuff. And I was at the part where she holds the knife at him, serious as can be, and then they both just kind of dissolve into laughter. And <laughs> so I always thought that was kind of uh, interesting. 
And then you have the weird, creepy Peter Lorre dude come in, pull out what looks like a fiendish instrument mm. of torture. I love it. Or nunchucks, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> and then he, he turns it, it's a coat hanger. <laughs> I always say that. A great gag. So, oh, oh. what shall we talk about? Oh, I guess if I Oh, I, I said my my first reaction to that was like, uh-oh. Oh. Kind of disappointed. <laughs> well, I like how Belloc is even kind of like, what the hell is this guy going to do? Like, you <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I think that was it. Was it? No, never mind. Um, so, uh, but yeah, and then, of course, in the tomb, like you said, all the skeletons and all this stuff. And um, and you, you mentioned, no, you mentioned the bug scene. Um this was another tradition in the franchise, was the so-called creepy crawly scene. You know, where you have the major one in each one. This one was the snakes, then Temple had the bugs, and then Last Crusade had the rat sequence. Well, there were tarantulas in the very beginning. Well, I was going to say, those were the major ones, but this one also started with the tarantulas, and Last Crusade has that romp through the circus train where he meets all kinds of things. And actually, I, will, I, I've always thought, like, you know, that scene kind of shows why Indy has a fear of snakes. But I'm sorry, after watching that sequence, if I had gone through that, I think I would have a much more pathological fear of rhinoceros. <laughs> <laughs> you know? But, but anyway... <laughs> So, um, kind of can't not talk about some of the other uh, uh, films while talking yeah. about this one, can, uh, can yeah. you? Hey, so we're going to end the case in the vacuum, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so, so let's answer the case and uh, yes, the answer the, the one. Crystal Skull, which of course they were all CG, so they kind of cheated there, but that apparently was a sequence they really wanted to do, like. I think I, I think I read the, or I heard in the interview, actually, I think George Lucas actually said that uh, he had originally uh, scripted that to be in Last Crusade somehow. Uh, I think he was thinking about using it in one of his Star Wars movies. They ended up using it in uh, <laughs> Crystal Skull. He just really wanted those ants. <laughs> well, it's cool they keep those themes going because it, it yeah. kind of goes back to like the sort of the formulaic serial style James Bond shit. Right. You know what I mean? Right. Like, there's always usually, I think, isn't there usually a good like chase sequence in in oh, really? movies as well? Like yeah. it's kind of it has to be there; or it wouldn't be a complete experience. You know? I think oh, yeah. you're right. I think there is a. The first one, of course, you have the chase sequence with, uh, and actually Lucas said this was one of his inspirations, was he saw like pictures of someone leaping off a horse onto a moving vehicle. And so he's like, I want to do that. And so, yeah, exactly. they, yeah. so they have that sequence where Indy comes riding up on a horse uh, to the big covered van and ends up jumping on. And, and uh, you got the whole thing of him being dragged under and all that kind of fun stuff. Um, and then in uh, Temple, you got a couple of chase sequences. You got the, the one through the streets of Shanghai at the beginning, with short round driving the car. And then you got the one later in the uh, tunnels with the um, mining cars. Um, and then in Last Crusade, you have been chasing the, again, on horses, chasing the uh, uh, tanks. 
Um, well, and yeah. in this in this particular film, Indy is getting chased by a gigantic ball. Yes. Um, <laughs> supposedly being chased by those Indians. Yes. Uh, then, of course, he's chasing after her in a basket. Oh, yeah, that too, yes. Well, I think the perilous, like, agility sequences are one of the things that you see, I think, a fair amount, too, because in the beginning of Temple of Doom, there's that part where he runs behind the gong and stuff, like... Right. You know, and uh, definitely video games owe Indiana Jones as a whole a lot of credit for puzzles and platforming and things like that, I think. Mm-hmm. Well, shoot. Yeah. Uh, Tomb Raider, Uncharted, all those uh, owe to Indiana Jones. Well, maybe sure. you, can't, like, you can't miss Pitfall or like. I think we're definitely skipping ahead. That could definitely come in the. Uh, final kind of influence and in, in overall, because this film had an enormous impact. That's one of the reasons why it's kind of cool to get to talk about it, because it did have an enormous footprint uh, on pop culture in general, um, which you know, is pretty cool. But, uh, <laughs> uh, and, and by the way, we have not said, but by the way, there are spoilers in this discussion. <laughs> well, I mean, yeah. <laughs> But not only people know it by now. <laughs> yes, yes, I know. And I'm sure very few people are truly going to be spoiled by this particular one, but you know. Um, and then the big, of course, the big finale, I guess, unless anyone really, really wants to hone in on any other particular scenes. Well, the, there, was the, uh, there was the desert chase yeah. uh, where he steals the arc back. And, uh, you know, kind of speaking to how the Indiana Jones films have, like, stuff that recurs, mm-hmm. um, I was watching that and I was like, is this one of the tank that goes over the cliff? Mm-hmm. And apparently well, it was not that one. No. But, um, we did get a good jeep over the cliff. That was in the last day. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so that was one with the tanks, the, uh... Very big tanks. Anyway. No, but I really do like the uh, like the part where, uh, where he he actually uh, climbs over the vehicle mm-hmm. and and bends the radiator so, uh, so that the, uh, right. uh, when he pulls the other guy and throws him out the windshield, mm-hmm. he uh, he pulls it out the rest of the way and goes under. He threw him shot. out the window. Actually, yeah, Dave, you would definitely appreciate the origin of this. Then, um, the when Indy goes under the vehicle and like does that, he gra- uses the whip to secure himself and goes under. Um, that actually was the brainchild of one of the stunt people. Um, there was the uh, one of the 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 people that plays, uh, you know, that did the stunts for Indy, and I uh, I feel really bad that I can't remember the name right off him, but anyway, he uh, I feel bad done, he didn't do it himself, I thought that yeah. my life <laughs> shattering yeah. dreams over here, Jay. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, apparently Harrison Ford did so many of his own stunts, they sometimes had to uh, restrain him from doing his stunts. Uh, <laughs> But uh, they had some really good lookalikes for him. But what this one guy had been doing, I think it was Legend of Zorro or something like that, and done almost the same stunt, and it did not work. He was actually injured in the process. 
And so he really wanted another go at it. And he mentioned to Spielberg, and he's oh, like, well, you know, and this is actually an homage to the old uh, John Ford film Stagecoach. Apparently they've done the same stunt or similar stunt. Oh, dude, and, like I've seen it in other westerns, too. Right. That's what I'm saying. I know Dave likes his westerns. Um, they, uh, he wanted another go at it, and he, went, he asked Spielberg, he's like, hey, what do you think about this? And Spielberg loved it, so they went ahead and tried. And they made it work, and it is an impressive stunt. It really is. And it's like you, you, you watch it, and you're like, I don't know the arm, you know. <laughs> it looks like one of the sketchiest things I've ever seen, for sure. <laughs> but, uh, and then, of course, it got a call back in uh, in Maverick, but you know, so that was kind of, uh, you know, I, 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 that's a stunt that I've I've seen a couple times myself. But um, what's that? Uh, here too, I think I've seen that uh, stunt uh, uh, somewhat over time too. So that yeah. had, that stunt had a staple uh, in in future films. Yeah, it's too good not to rip off. I mean, <laughs> right. but uh, like I said, I'm going to try and remember to come back to that. Then, um, like I said, the great big uh, the the arc ends up on a ship bound for some weird random island in the Mediterranean. And of course, the uh, the ship's crew seems very nice and pleasant, and Indian and Marion get a chance to uh, breathe her, you know. And then they have that nice little kind of romantic sequence where you know she kisses all the parts that don't really hurt too badly. And <laughs> uh, of course, you also have that great visual gag of him looking at his busted lip in the mirror, and she flips the mirror. Yeah. That was that was hilarious. <laughs> well, it's yeah. such a good like anti James Bond moment. Right. Bond would have betted the lady, you know, but <laughs> friggin' Indy's so exhausted from the insanity up to that point, he just passes out. Right, right. I think you're right. I think like Bond. Yeah, Bond would have definitely been able to. Uh, you're very tired? What are you talking about? Yeah, he didn't watch up a martini and got jiggy with it, dude. <laughs> well, he'd, he'd have found some speedboat off the uh, off the grid and, uh, and right. been like, let's throw, let's throw this cell phone off. The, uh, 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 sure. uh, uh, let's get rid of Q. But Q always found a way to find him. So. Actually, that's a good point. Most of the Bond films seem to end with him and the girl on a, a boat or a raft or something <laughs> out in the water. And I could see this one, like the island, everyone dies, and it's just them. And then you cut to a scene of them on a raft. <laughs> I think it'd be remiss not to call back to the sweet onesie that Sean Connery wears in Dr. No. <laughs> okay, so uh, at any rate, so you get, they get to the island, the Nazis are once again, you know, doing their thing, and they've captured, you know, Indy tries to take it back with a, you know, a, a rocket launcher, and then Baloch just dares him, just like... Go ahead, you blow it up. Yeah, go ahead. I know you're not going to do it. You know you're not going to do it. <laughs> you yeah, can't do time he's called a yeah. bluff hardcore. Yeah. I know you want to see what's inside the Ark. Exactly. Yeah. This is once again him telling Indy, we're not that different. I know you. I can read you because I am you. <laughs> and it's kind of, I, I kind of like that, the, 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 um, 
what am I trying to say? The uh, juxtaposition there of that, that villain that could be the hero under different circumstances. Yeah, yeah, he tries to yeah. protect Marianne at a couple of points, mainly because he yeah. wants that sweet peace for himself. But I was just going to quote Bicentennial Man. You and me, we're the same. <laughs> uh, I love that actually that's probably one of my favorite moments in the movie because he knew damn well Andy was going to open it himself if they yeah, yeah. Open it, you know yeah and they, he kind of gets saved from himself which is kind of uh, you know he realizes just in time wait this is not something we want to you know um, and then we get into this great which um, I'm sure uh, the, at least the horror lovers in this group will be very fond of that big climax yes, sequence at the end. Um, so if any of y'all want to run with that and describe it, go for it. Okay. So apparently, um, Indy and and his uh, significant love are tied to a, po a post. While they're watching the uh, the Nazis perform this ceremony that uh, that is to open up the Ark, and what happens is these big gigantic like spiritual this spiritual Ark of a wing comes out, and then you start seeing all these spiritual you know uh, uh, I, I I would have to say entities. Just but fly out of the Ark and kill all the Nazis. <laughs> That's not literally all that happens, you know. But, uh, but uh, there's one particular entity that shows up like an angel, uh, uh, angel, and then all of a sudden it turns, and you see, like you're you're seeing the angel of death, and, and that's when lightning sparks from the ark, and basically like a domino effect goes from one Nazi to the other and electrocutes them all and melts them to death. Is it white men? I think it was a dream from Ghostbusters. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's like, I don't know, lightning, I'm uncomfortable with the term. I think we should okay. just put a disclosure here, like, okay, the use of the term lightning does not reflect the views of the power of God. The <laughs> power of Christ compelled them, okay? <laughs> <laughs> radioactive vapor! Yes, so Barack accidentally performs an exorcism on the entire assembled lot, including himself. <laughs> Which is why they all appear inside the ashes of whatever is inside the ark. Right. Well, do they disappear or do they melt? I mean, the Peter Lorre dude definitely melts. And that was <laughs> the other guy gets like vacuum sealed or exactly, something. Yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. Operation <laughs> Vacuum Suck. Well, <laughs> <laughs> uh, of course, that wasn't... Uh, this was the first time, but of course they repeat this in a way because I always look at this one and the scene at the end of Last Crusade is very similar in a lot of ways. Mm -hmm. They're both pretty disturbing to people who have difficulty with those types of things. Mm -hmm. I used to be one of those people uh, who wouldn't watch either of those scenes mm -hmm. uh, back, back when I was younger. Mm -hmm. Now I can watch them fine, but 
Well, it's just awesome it's that great. they throw them in there, you know? It's like that scene, yeah, every movie's, you know, like we've talked about the recurring things. Like, each one kind of seems to have those scenes where, you know, as a kid, you kind of watch it through, like, cracked right. fingers sort of thing. And I'll admit, I was definitely that kid with that scene in Raiders. And the scene you're talking about, you're talking about the one where, uh, um, uh, his name is right on the tip of my tongue, and I just cannot think of it. Uh, it, it drinks from the wrong chalice, basically. And, uh, chose wrongly. Chose early, <laughs> yes. and then um, in the in um, temple, there are two secrets, and I guess the more famous one is probably the Ali Mahakali. I still sometimes recreate it on the couch with my kid, and then just shake the shit out of her with my hand. The one that I still have trouble with, honestly, is the banquet in Temple of Doom. Oh, oh Blinky Burns. I love that. Ew, yes. <laughs> I'm uh, all soup. I, would, I hate to admit it because uh, uh, Lily annoys me in that movie. She annoys me a lot. She sucks. She's yeah. not Marianne. I would have agreed with her in that moment. <laughs> <laughs> That's probably my biggest goal. Oh, get Marianne back for it, you know. <laughs> what Thank is you. this? <laughs> you know, yeah, he's that favorite. guy that got a girl in every port kind of thing. Okay, yeah. so my favorite, my favorite parody, I think, of that Temple of Doom moment is from, uh, there's an animated series for Clerks, <laughs> um, like Kevin's yeah, yeah. Clerks, and there was one where, like, they basically find the Temple of Doom, like, in some other store or whatever, and uh, they see that scene happen, and Jay and Silent Bob are there, and Jay just stands up and shouts, you know, from the corner, Tears hard out, and then like they hear it, and they're like, you know, it's just not as much fun if they're not scared. And he like puts the heart back. <laughs> I could see uh, actually. Uh, I know uh, Septim has a favorite video clip he likes to use a lot from that series, and I could definitely be <laughs> safe. <laughs> <laughs> that would definitely work for that scene. Speaking uh, of, real quick, the intro to your guys' series is from Teenagers from Out of Space, right? Yes. Okay, I just discovered that yes. the other day, actually. I was pretty stoked on it. So, uh, about torture. <laughs> <laughs> the, uh, and then, of course, you know, we talked about how this would have ended if it was a Bond film. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> It has the great ending of, you know, the, the, the Indian and Marcus are, are uh, arguing with the government stooges of, like, this needs to be studied. It needs to be, you know, we can't just file it away or whatever. And uh, they're like, uh, we've got top men working on it. Who? Top men. And then you have that, that, that sequence of them putting it in the back of the warehouse. <laughs> it's like, that last sequence is utilized in a lot of media. That scene is cut in, including our very own, uh, our very own show, as a matter of fact, we yeah. utilize that. It's um, a sequence. <laughs> so how do you guys interpret the top men thing? Because I've got like an interesting, actually historically accurate, like... Thing that I never thought about until this time, but I think well, at this point in time it was 1936, mm-hmm. so I, I would have to say it would be the Pinkertons at, <laughs> at, at, at that point in time. Be, because because uh, 
yeah, the Pinkertons, which is what what was the beginning of the CIA before before it even happened. So, to uh, to uh, to me that uh, that was still part of. Uh, I mean, we, this was still like shortly after the Roaring Twenties. I mean, we we just we just opened up bootlegging again. You know, I mean. I have to admit, if you wanted a uh, if you wanted a good storage facility for a large amount of booze, this warehouse probably would work. <laughs> well, see, okay, I don't know if you guys are familiar. Like, uh, this doesn't directly tie into obviously the timeline of the movie because it's right. quite a bit beforehand. But Operation Paperclip was like definitely a real thing where they brought a bunch of like Nazi intellectuals over here mm -hmm. after the war and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. So, oh, when yeah. I was watching it this time, it, it couldn't help but occur to me that you know, maybe that arc actually down the road ended up back in the hands of Nazis technically. Because I'm sure top men that they would have had working on it down the road would have been some of those scientists or scholars or whatever that they brought over during that shit. So I thought that was kind of interesting to think about a little bit. Yeah. We, did, we did borrow a lot of German and Russian technology to create NASA, so... <laughs> I, always, I always interpreted that, like, I think even when I was a kid, I still had this interpretation, but definitely as I got older... Um, and I think this is borne out by Kingdom of the Crystal Skull because they are in that very same warehouse and they find the Ark uh, in that warehouse. But they don't, or, or they don't find it, but you see a box busted open and it's in there. Um, do they know that the number of this warehouse is numbered 13. Right. But the, uh, <laughs> the idea that I had was, that, sure. the, was that, yeah, it is. It's fun. Um, <laughs> The, 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 uh, it pretty much is just, you know, it's the government, they're, they're never going to get to it. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's in the backlog, like, pretty fierce if it's still kicking around during right. fucking Crystal Skull, you know? Right. So, um... There's only, like, what, 20, 30 years between the two, like, in their continuity, though, right? Right, and the yeah. 50s or whatever would have been right when, like, the atomic age shit was when we were using a lot of those scientists from Germany that we imported over, like, oh, we'll excuse some war crimes if you guys build some rockets. Come on over. I don't remember the exact date, because all of them tell you at the beginning of the movie what date it is. I don't remember what date on um, Crystal Skull, but given everything that happens in the film and everything, it's either late 50s, early 60s. It's definitely, uh, you know, a little bit later. Um, and, of course, Raiders is pre... Well, not... Well, like, right at the start of World War II, you know, like... Like, the Nazis are becoming a threat, but they're not really... Yeah, it's when they're rising to power, for yeah. sure. I think there's some maybe historical yeah. inaccuracy on the whole occult research thing, because didn't one of you guys say it was 36 well, for Raiders? I think so, well, yeah. if you really yeah. wanted to get into yeah. some historical views of this film, in the flying scenes, the map lists several countries by their modern names instead of their 1936 names. Uh -huh. and, and Siam did not become Thailand until 1939. Transjordan mm -hmm. did not become Jordan until 1949. So, interesting. Um, there is also a globe on the desk in the classroom, and the globe depicts various countries of Africa that didn't exist until in 1936. 
I never looked that closely at the globe. <laughs> it also depicts a round planet, which is inaccurate. Anyway. <laughs> 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 Excuse me? The African forms didn't exist until 1941. Yeah. And when Indy flies from Nepal to Karachi Mm -hmm. on a DC-3, airplane travel to Nepal only began in 1949. Before then, Nepal could only be reached through overland travel. Hmm. He can go on like a Contiki raft out there. <laughs> I like how he just—I like how he just throws his loaded gun like into his luggage, and that's like fine. Yeah, 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 yeah. You can probably travel with that shit though. Yeah, right. that's 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 so he just smoke on the airplane, right? <laughs> just throws his revolver into the cave. Medicinal cocaine, you know what I mean? Medicinal cocaine. Oh, what, what, what a cannon, though. When, when you first hear him open fire in that yeah. in, in that scene when he's going up against the Nazis to, to right. help his girlfriend. Actually, you, you mentioned this. I saw, again, I, I, I watched a feature, a couple of them, where they talked to the, uh, the sound man, and he specifically says that the sound of the Indiana Jones gun, like when he is firing his pistol, and, and it has a very specific sound, and he says that it's the sound of, a, if I remember correctly, because I, 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 I'm no expert on guns, but I believe what he said was that it was a Winchester 33 rifle. Mm-hmm. Which obviously is going to have a different sound than a typical pistol, <laughs> right? But that obviously yeah. plays into too, like yes. you, I forget which one of you mentioned, like the comic book style yeah. sort of slight yeah. exaggeration. Exaggerated, yes. But like, everything's louder, everything's bigger. Yes. The punches too, like that's you know, and they ride the line perfectly. I think between it, like being still something you can slightly take seriously, and it's not Batman from the sixties, you know. There's not cats and cows going off on that shit. Yes, there's no a different type of comic book. There's no bat shark repellent in this one. Um, <laughs> at any rate. Excuse me, excuse me. Anti-shark bat spray, dude. Oh, right, right, right. It makes that motherfucker explode. That's like one of my favorite moments ever. Amy probably would have loved to have some anti-cobra spray, but, you know, he didn't didn't have that on him, unfortunately. Uh, (laughs) So, okay, actually, um, so I think think we've gone through most of the plot points that... uh, Unless anyone really wants to do that, otherwise we'll do a finish up on the character discussion. Um, I think we hit most of it. Uh, so I don't, really. I don't know where I would throw this in in the discussion, so I'm just going to throw right. it in now. Okay. Um, the Nazis that we're getting in this are definitely like I don't know what the hell this is rated, probably PG-13, but they're definitely PG-13 Nazis, well, and I think that serves the the whole you know. Best interest of the film because if they were gunning down these people that helped Indy for one thing, after because that's what Nazis would have done, it would have killed the mood for everyone. Actually, I thought we were gonna get this. Was actually, this was actually rated PG. So, See, there you go. And I mean, it's really sure, yeah, PG. So, uh, I can look right now, yeah. yeah, you're right, which that's a pretty freaking big drop because. 
Apparently, the film had a very definite threat from the MPAA of being R-rated. Right, and see, I can see that. Well, specifically because of the scene where Balak's head explodes. Right. So when you see all the fire superimposed over that effect, that was to appease the MPAA. It's so gruesome, too. I love it. But that made it apparently PG. <laughs> but, uh, I mean, you know, like, my point is that obviously the Nazis aren't exactly as ruthless as you'd expect them to be from watching other movies. They are definitely comic book Nazis, but they still manage to even sneak in a little bit of ruthlessness in there. And we do get, like, a slight moment right before they do the ritual where that guy's like, I'm not sure I'm comfortable with this Jewish ceremony or whatever. Apparently, that was yeah. added last minute because they realized there were no references to Jews in the whole movie. I was curious about that because it seems like they, they, they put it in there just to remind you that, like, yeah, these guys are definitely Nazis. They're not just, like, these bumbling PG-13 idiots, you know, or whatever. And that dude is Dietrich, who's played by Wolf Holler. Uh, Dietrich is kind of the main Nazi other than Tote. He's not really a major baddie. I feel like he's more just a face for the Nazis. But yeah. he does, he, he, he basically is there almost as a check on Bullock. Because, you know, he, he helps to remind us that hey, I, these guys are bad. I think he's there as a check for Bullock, but I think he's also there as a check for the guy in charge of the Nazis, too. He's because like he, the third Reich version of the district manager or something. Exactly. He's there to strong arm both of them if, if necessary. Uh, just uh, just to make them do what the, what the Fuhrer really wants, you know? I get that. Anyway, so this is a, 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 a going to be a, a totally off-culture reference to anyone that's not into anime, but uh, the show Disgaea, I believe it was, was that the one with Midboss? Yes. Well, also, it was a video game as well. Yeah, I mean, actually, it was a video game before it was an anime. Prinny was a good <laughs> offshoot of this guy. Yes, yeah. it was. Good, good PSP guy. But I just feel like, yeah, that guy's like, he's like, I'm not the big boss. Stop calling me that. <laughs> I think that's a great touch to that finale, though, because it adds in that little bit of, like, scumminess on yeah. top of everything. Like, and it made me think what the movie might have been like. Like, that last sequence with them melting and getting their comeuppance or whatever is impactful. But if you saw them, like, gunning down all of the indie sympathizers in the movie, which would have happened if it was, like, for real, uh, maybe that would have been even more, like, enjoyable seeing those guys get melted. I don't know. It'd have been a buzzkill if we were seeing them mow down rows of people. Fuck that. If for whatever reason someone completely lost their mind and decided this film had to be remade, and they decided to do the same thing of let's not necessarily go with the ethnically appropriate actors, let's go with who would have been cast back in the day, Dietrich would be played by Ron Livingston. <laughs> No, no, no question. You know, that sort of character. <laughs> well, you, are you aware of, like, the fan remake of Raiders? Because there's, like, a whole documentary about that. If you And I know you guys enjoy that kind of stuff, so if you get a chance. That could be interesting. The fan-made version of Raiders? Yeah, they shot for shot remade the shit. Like, in the 90s. <laughs> wow. Something like that. That would be interesting. Weird, but interesting. 
Um, so do anyone have any more character stuff, or do we want to move on to the uh, actual nitty-gritty of the effects and music and that kind of stuff? All right, let's get light. Let's get to the effects. Okay. So, what do you think of the effects? <laughs> well, it's mainly, if you really think about it at the end, you can't talk effects without talking about the last scene, but we've talked about that. Uh, there were, uh, one good thing about the set I have, which I know many people have better sets than I have, but I had the one when they re-released the Indiana Jones sets back in the day, and they did the, uh, trilogy set. They had a pretty cool, uh, sequence where they showed you how they melted the Nazi faces. I love the practical right. effects in the original film. Uh, I mean, as you said, with that difference between practical and the CG even though Lucas prefers the CG, it seems, I've always preferred practical at the end of the day. Mm -hmm. And uh, that seems amazing. The first three are very heavy on practical effects. Like I said, they were, um, the whole thing with the melted face was done with like, it was like wax figures and that sort of like blow drying it with a hot, <laughs> and then I think they did the thing of like the shrunken head or like the imploding head. I think they did like a, a, a hollow shell and then like collapsed it with vacuum pressure or something. I don't remember exactly what they sure said. Wax was involved, if I yeah. remember correctly. Those pieces look like melting wax. Right. But then. Um, like I said, a lot, a lot, a lot of stunt work, which definitely falls into a practical uh, aspect of the film. You know, you can get, you know, it's noticeable at times in Kingdom of the Crystal Skull where you've got the characters are just green screen. You know, it's like they're not really interacting. The physicality is not really there, per se. And it's noticeable, if you, you know, and, I, and I, I'm now understanding why some people are harsh on it. But um, this, the first thing, the, with the stunt work and everything, it made the practical effects more practical, I guess you could say. You know what I mean? Like, uh, they had, like, actual explosions, not CG explosions, you know. They did a lot of work with models, like a lot of work with models. I think that's true of all four films, but definitely a lot of uh, set on like reduced scale, half scale, third scale, you know, even smaller than that. Um, it, it definitely is impressive to see like what they could do when they were. And what's even more impressive is that they did it quickly with a modest, for what they were doing, a modest budget. Like it wasn't a small budgeted film, but they could have been a whole lot more, <laughs> you know, a whole lot more expensive with that. Right. Uh, it, it, visually, just everything about it, that's because, okay, I watched it twice for this discussion, and the first time, arguably, I was just kind of, like, playing Nintendo and watching it on the side while I drank beer and stuff, and just looking at it visually, and... That's the best way to do it. <laughs> fun to look at. Like, it's a, you could almost play Raiders on mute and just, you know, have select sections of it cut into a montage, and it would still be an enjoyable video to just watch. You know, because yeah. of all the cool effects. Oh, leap that theme over the shit and just watch it. The 51 liners and whatnot. The, um, 
the other thing is the the uh, computer effects, the uh, the the effects that they did in post production, mostly in that final scene. And I admit, a lot of those to me look kind of dated, but they're not too dated. Like it's it's kind of like you know, like kind of Ghostbusters. Some of those others from the early '80s. You know, it's not. It doesn't really hold up to today's standard, but it's more horrible, horrible. It's, it's uh, something fascinating, but you're talking about when they, like, superimpose, like, the smoke and the arc and the lightning, or when they do, like, the storm in the background when they're first digging up the Well of Souls and stuff, like, uh, that stuff. The floating ghosts and the electricity, well, they're not calling it electricity, apparently, but, you know, the... <laughs> <laughs> But uh, one scene I did always like, even though it's very simple and it doesn't fully live up to today's standards, I do love that moment with that one that looks almost like an angel, and then suddenly it's the angel of death. It's I great. Just, that was a great, a great like little turnaround there. <laughs> Something uh, I feel like has been like ganked from Raiders 2 and other stuff because I feel like I've definitely seen like other scenes in later movies maybe it predates Raiders I don't know there's like an ethereal floating spirit thing and then all of a sudden its face turns mean you know yeah I'm sure it's been done a few times I I agree about the special effects there there is there are some fun things that are pretty decent but on a 4K TV, which I got to watch on, <laughs> things definitely don't hold up quite as well as they used to. Um, especially the storm effects around the um, around the well scene, where they're basically uh, digging that up. It uh, it really. I think uh, my wife used to talk about this sort of thing as it just looks like. Uh, something from a TV movie, almost. Right, and but I think that's... Sorry, go ahead. Uh, I was going to say, it's an effect that you get a lot these days because of the 4K. You get a little bit of it with the, with the HD. The 4K has really brought this to the forefront. Is You get this almost unreal feeling mm-hmm. uh, when it comes to watching some of these films on 4K. And it makes me think to myself, maybe there were a lot of films that just aren't meant for 4K. Well, and I think to myself, we watched for Halloween. There are there are some films I think that aren't meant for Blu-ray. So, uh, Mr. Fancy over here watching 4K TV. Yeah, I think in the air sipping and soda. Well, I mean, a good example would be a Highlander movie. Um, of course, it could be because they really haven't done a good transfer to Blu-ray. Because the Highlander Blu-rays are terrible looking. Uh, Ah, crap, I have that. I haven't watched it yet. (laughs) On DVD, it actually looks really decent. uh, So sometimes it just, uh, I mean, uh, the, uh, what do they call it? The uh, Dragon Tattoo series. Those, not not the remakes, but the old. Some of them, they look really bad on Blu-ray. Uh, some of those, just the way they were filmed and the way they were done, sometimes it's better to watch them in the lower resolution. And I think that's the case with uh, Indiana Jones. Is I think that 180 is probably good, but anything beyond that, no. 
<laughs> I watched it like just DVD plugged into the same TV I play like Atari and Nintendo on and stuff, and it almost Dude, felt like probably... really VHS, you know. See, that's the way you should do it. That that really is. That should be the way you do it. See, I would, um, uh, hold on, let me let me make this point real quick, Jake. I would argue because of like the pulp serial comic book vibe of it, though. Some of the unreal elements of those scenes is sort of like makes it cool. I think I don't know. I was a fan of like the stuff where they superimpose them because it also reminds me of like Dune. Or like the Dune TV show, they had the matte backgrounds. I'm a big fan of that stuff too. <laughs> so sometimes that little bit of fakery, where it makes it feel like almost a theater production, or it is a bit dated, adds a cool element to it. I mean, I, I know I'm probably making an excuse here for a dated effect, but I think that it adds a fun element to the movie that might not be as cool if it was super clean, you know. Yeah. I grew up on the first three on VHS. I mean, that was how I watched them. VHS, probably on television as well. And I got a nice set back in the day on DVD. And I saw Crystal Skull in theaters and then saw it on DVD. Um, and now I have a very nice little compact little condensed set that has all four of them on Blu-ray. So I've seen mm -hmm. it in different formats. And... I do agree that the higher the resolution, the more you notice things. I don't think at the Blu-ray level it's a bad thing. But I'll admit, they might look a little funky on the 4K. <laughs> <laughs> Again, it's, yeah. it's not really necessarily a bad thing. Right. I do think that there are some that have a harder time making that transition. Uh, it's it's uh, like I have the original Star Wars trilogy unaltered. Mm. Um, and I have not watched it because they put it on Blu-ray on my TV because I'm curious as to how, I am curious though, I will be watching it to see how it looks. Mm -hmm. I'm hoping that Disney will be, Disney is supposedly going to be releasing them in the original glory, which, uh, uh, is very much opposed to the creator because the creator really, I mean, Lucas had said basically that he wants, he would rather have the original stuff gotten rid of yeah um, if, if he had his way he'd just edit out shotguns everywhere and put digital dicks all over the screen and <laughs> it's like that, uh, it's like that uh, south park where it's like well we get it out of all the guns and we have the uh <laughs> <the> walkie talkies <laughs> well, and as far away from that as possible like you know he needs that but sometimes it's really cool to see a lot of the original effects in the format, if I had like, uh, if I had a lot of money, I'd have an old CR. I have, a, I had several TVs uh, with those various stages, so that I could watch those intended at, at the uh, level that was intended to be watched. You can find CRTs on the sidewalk for free, bro. <laughs> I don't know if it's different in Virginia. Uh, speaking to the vault, I heard recent. I heard recently that Disney has started putting stuff like Alien into the vault. Like they're, oh God, they're starting, they're starting to actually send like you know stuff to block people from screening yeah. Alien at theaters. Screen out a bunch yeah. of for-profit theaters, too, that yeah. always screen the stuff. It's it's You can do a whole podcast on just that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There's all kinds of dickery. But it was, worth it. it was worth it to get the stupid X-Men in, in Marvel. <laughs> I don't make everybody mad. I don't like the X-Men. Like I think they suck. 
dude, what they really want to do is sell us, like, a $40 edition of fucking Predator or some nonsense. Uh, anyway, well, uh, on the other hand, maybe it'll actually, like, clean it up this time. Uh, because some of the releases of Predator that we've gotten have been, like, really lazy. Just, like, they just, like, took the DVD scan and, like, slightly upscaled it. Like, they didn't actually remaster anything. I don't have a track of anymore, but have you guys seen that shit where it's like the original red suit, weird mantis looking creature for a it's oh, it's the funniest. The John Claude Van Damme uh, Predator yeah. creature. Oh so good. good. So uh, just a quick uh, note before I steal us back, uh, one thing I will give Disney, even though they can be colossal dicks when it comes to making things available, I do trust them to put the effort in for a good transfer. I think they... Oh, yeah, that they generally quality have, release. Yeah. But anyway, uh, <laughs> so we did the effects, the, uh, and a lot of the... Of course, the big thing for me, the other big thing for me is the music. This is just a phenomenal score. It is one of John Williams' most iconic, and he has had some iconic scores. <laughs> you know, several of them were Spielberg. You know, Jaws and... Jurassic Park and whatever, and then of course, you know, Star Wars with Lucas. Uh, so this is the dude who's like the most nominated person, I think, in Oscar history, or pretty close to it. <laughs> so, um, yeah, you don't get that without something pretty good. And yet, the <laughs> film did not win the Oscar for this music. Um, I can only... I'm only partly upset that it lost to Chariots of Fire, because <laughs> that is a good score. Well, it did get eight on eight nominations, didn't it? Yeah, eight nominations for <laughs> art direction, oh, yeah. sound, film editing, and visual effects. Oh, that score! It got a special achievement award for sound effects editing because this was before sound effects editing was a thing, apparently. <laughs> yeah, I feel the need to point out too that. Yeah. A, a large deal gets made about the main, you know, the dun 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 dun. Yeah. You know, everyone lo loves that shit, but the movie is just scored well outside of that. Oh, it is. The whole franchise is, and Williams talks in the uh, bonus features about how much he loves doing a serial. Like he had as much fun with Star Wars too. The idea of doing a serial uh, where you do different installments each time. Now. I have long debated the merits of giving Mr. Williams more and more and more and more nominations for his Star Wars work. <sighs> <laughs> He's already won five Oscars and been nominated at least 40 times. He doesn't need to keep getting nominated for Star Wars. <laughs> I that this is a bit more of a nuanced score in a lot of ways, right. though, too. Like, it's oh, not yeah. just the yeah. same themes. You know, Star Wars has its yeah. moments, but then outside of that, it's kind of just general fucking William shit. I think in Indy, he kind of had a little bit more fun with it, you know? And well, there's the, there's the heroes, you know, Indy's march, the, the, you know, there's the romantic theme, there's the, 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 the arc itself has a theme. Um, yeah, there, there's definitely a lot of them, and of course each installment has its own additional, he, he said in Last Crusade, because of the father-son dynamic, 
he did a lot of stuff specifically for Indy and his father that was different from the other stuff. So, yeah. Right. And I mean, it's, you know, my heart wells just like everyone else's when I see the mm-hmm. sun rising or setting on Tatooine or whatever the hell. I, <laughs> that means. I, I don't know if he deserves, like, all the glory for that stuff. So. <laughs> I really that was one of my favorite Family Guy jokes. Was the one where um, Brian becomes a porn director, and they are at the awards like the next day, and they have the one for original score, and you see that one dude in his basement with the synthesizer, another dude in his basement with like the soundboard, and then you see John Williams with the big orchestra. <laughs> If you like shot on video horror, though, there's something to be said about those basement synthesizer scores. I just the idea of weird full circle moment too. J.J. Abrams, who I believe had something to do with Star Wars, didn't he? Fucking. His first job was doing a basement basement dude synthesizer score for uh, Night Beast by Don Diller. So, yeah. Well, I mean, a lot of great a lot of the greats started was something that was kind of a side project. I mean, you know, I'm a huge fan of Cole and his start editing the Evil Dead. I mean, you know, it's kind of you never know. Um, but uh, so we got that one down. Um, I'm trying to know if there's anything else in the production aspect that really... Anyone have any thoughts of anything else they want to cover on the production side of it? Um, I don't know as many production stories for this one, so uh, I'm not sure I can really offer a whole lot. See, I feel like in a, in a drunken haze years ago, I probably went through some of these same ones Jake has, but I did. I specifically didn't for this discussion. I wanted to just go into it with Raiders being fresh in my mind as almost a standalone thing. So I, I whipped out my set, too. I was going to watch all of them, but I, I didn't just because I wanted to focus on this one, and I think I kind of oh, yeah. did myself a bit of a disservice in doing that because it's not all as fresh in my mind. Um, oh, we need to come back definitely for the others uh, as well. Yeah. I think now that we've laid the groundwork, might not be bad to hit one every, you know, one every year or two, you know, something like that. To add anything to it is that it seems like it must have been a super fun time for these guys to do this oh, yeah. sort of stuff. You know, like. Uh, a lot of the dudes that grew up in that era and were, like, adults at that time, I think, probably had mad nostalgia for, like, the old serials and pulp stories and things like that. And I've always been a big fan of that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And I think it would have been cool to try to work in the yeah. stuff that they worked into this while keeping mm-hmm. it sort of its own original thing in a, in a long way. And one thing that I might want to add, though, uh, though is uh, uh, you guys said something to the fact that George Lucas had wanted to turn this into like a serial type thing. Well, that that kind of already did happen with the young Indiana Jones girl. Oh, you saw oh, yeah. that. I barely remember that. I enjoyed it when it was out. But, um, I did too, and I think like in a certain cheese quality, I could now, but right. I, 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 
Of course, you get a cameo of young Indiana Jones at the start of uh, Crusade with River Phoenix playing the role, and that was a fun sequence. R.I.P. But the yes, R.I.P. No doubt about it. Um, the uh, <clears throat> what was I going to say? The other thing with the production I was um, going to mention. But anyway, I did want to ask. Actually, Seth, uh, I meant to ask when you were talking about your HD TV. Could you see the glass? In the what was that? Supposedly the glass. Oh, it's between, yeah, it's no, no, supposedly the glass between Indy and the Cobra is visible if you look hard enough. But <laughs> I'll I, have to look back at yeah, that. There are a lot of like definitely. holes in a lot of the older movies. Right. Kind of like that. Like I think the I think the worst one that I can think of is in Aliens during one of the scenes of the Alien Queen. Mm-hmm. Um. The way, like, there's some, I think it's in the hive, like, she's getting blasted with, Ripley's blasting off the flamethrower, and, like, the queen's neck is lit up, and you can see, like, the metal bars where her head, like, attached to the rest of the puppet, mm-hmm. and it's like, well, it, it's, uh, like it's the worst thing ever, because you can't unsee it. <laughs> I only watch the Dark Crystal in, in 4K, mm-hmm. and, uh, I mean... It oh, was pretty good. Like, I watched it oh, before, too. It did I what did. you could see, of course. And, mm-hmm. uh, again, there's that line. Is, uh, in a way, it's kind of cool because you get to see what they did. You get to see uh, a little bit uh, on how they made the magic. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't want maybe a child to be looking at that because I really want the magic to be intact for a child. Mm-hmm. But as an adult uh, or somebody who appreciates film, sometimes it's kind of cool to be able to see those things. But I like to also not be able to see those things too. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. just like the, uh, you know, yeah. it's just like with the a TV discussion. You know, it's nice to have it. I mean, shoot, if I had the room. I should mm-hmm. also include that when we talked about money and room for CRT <laughs> to have it on top. Uh, I think I'll they're just... the only ones actually been in my uh, in my movie room, but yeah, <laughs> it's just uh, no room for for that. But it would be kind of cool to have like a wall with different TVs in it. Yeah. Dream, uh, one of those dream things, you know. Oh, 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 like in uh, like in Back to the Future too, where all those screens yeah, like are, in... like. Like a lot of those memes you see where people have like the retro gaming set up and it's like a oh, TV yeah. for each era, you know, it's just it's just like excessive oh, and crazy. Right. Oh, I, I definitely am guilty of stacking the CRTs, man. <laughs> like, I've got them in every room of the house for sure, at least one. And oh, yeah. I don't know, dude, we could set you up with one septum that's small enough and with like DVD combo, you know hook a VCR up to it, you can have it over, like, desktop style so that you can do stuff. Uh. So, yeah, I did want to uh, comment again. I still have not seen the glass myself, and I was always impressed back in the day. I was always like, they put him in front of a live Cobra? Really? What? He was in dreams for me. I thought that that really happened. Well, he was in front of a live Cobra, but it was just glass. But reality shattered. But I like the whole. Apparently, they had like two thousand or three thousand or so snakes, and it wasn't enough. Spielberg looked around and said, "This is not." Pulling rubber ones with like filaments. Not enough. 
And so they put out a call to like every pet store in Europe or something. <laughs> Did you guys notice the blatantly fake snakes, snakes or is that? It, is that just my imagination? It seems like some were super stiff and being pulled with. That had to have been when rubber was actually rubber. See, I don't know what I mean. I can't find myself in the position where I'm shooting a goddamn movie and I have like two, three thousand snakes right there, and I'm like, what we really need is rubber ones crawling over the whole batch of them. <laughs> All no, no, no. All remotely controlled from the Nazi location. All I can think of is that scene in Arnold Close Christmas where he's driving up with the pickup truck with snake. Pause. What one for you? So, actually, that's probably a good segue, but let's go ahead and talk about some uh, favorite moments, favorite scenes, what have you. Um, I'm sure everyone has at least one. Who is doing I'm hearing some really serious static. Oh, my. Uh, I'm sorry, buddy. I hate to out you. Do I now? No, it's definitely in some anyway. Is, is this little circle growing? Well, at any rate, uh, so who wants to start? Well, I'm not going to be with them that quick. Uh oh. Sounds uh, like it's you. Uh, yeah. <laughs> well, you got a cat rubbing really back and forth across the mic. I can't hear you, buddy. It could be because I just uh, I switched ears. Is that better? Yeah, that's better. Uh, yeah, I switched ears. That was the problem. Um, okay. any case, uh, that first sequence, uh, where he is, uh, just, a, that's just a classic sequence from the moment he goes in and he does the, uh, idle switch to escaping the boulder. That whole, that whole sequence to me is, uh, quintessential Indiana Germans and is really the thing that kind of just defined an entire genre from then on out. So, to me, that that's just my favorite. I would add that, like, how can you come through those spider webs at the end and not be freaked out by that, but be freaked out by snakes? Like, when it, what, am I wrong? When you even walk through, like, a single spider web, it feels like that moment in Raiders where he's, like, covered in them, and you're like, oh, my God, they're going to nest in my ears or some shit like that. I feel like Alpha Melinda's character... I'm freaked out because of the damn webs. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like um, Melina was a budding arachnophobe, but he didn't live long enough for it to turn into a, uh, a real thing. Um, but I agree, I'm not an arachnophobe, but I don't love spiders, not at all, and that would have freaked me out. There's something fucking disgusting about like having spider webs on you, and like I said, even one of them feels like you're draped like India's right there. Like, oh, look at them all over me. I can't. And especially if there's something slimy on the webs, it's like, yeah. ooh. Yeah, an old moth that's been hanging out there. And, and again, remember, remember that this was Melinda's first screen role, and they dumped spiders on him. And then made them move on him. Apparently, they wouldn't move because it wasn't a female. So they put a female down. So they started moving. 
Aggravate, <laughs> aggravate these spiders that are. Uh, uh, hey, ooh la! Uh, come and get your fat, uh, juicy meat. We do got to talk a moment about his sweet nipple twiddling motion that he's making when Indy's sw- swapping the idol. Like I, I love that shit so much. Okay, okay. I made that as like a gif, you know. Hey, how about you, Dustin? <laughs> oh, my favorite moment. <laughs> Uh, well, I think it would be that, like I said before, that swordsman scene, yeah. where he's just like, nope, blam. <laughs> it, it makes me laugh every time. And you know, I've heard, uh, I've heard certain weirdos be like, it's like, oh, that's a murder. That's so unfair. And it's like, who cares? Bro was swinging a sword. Like you swing a scimitar at me, I'm gonna blow you away for sure. <laughs> yeah, they would have killed him. Um, so Dave. That's one of my favorites, but uh, but I, th- I think one of my um, uh, my top favorites is when Indiana Jones in the uh, very beginning puts his hand into the light, and all of so- uh, a sudden uh, that uh, uh, that skeleton co- comes. There is a slow turn of that skull as it turns to look at him. Uh, mm-hmm. For some reason, I always enjoy that part. Hmm. <laughs> all right. So. Um... And I've got to admit, one part that, I mean, I agree with Dustin, that part of the swordsman always makes me laugh. And then, and, and uh, I agree with Brandon, the first part is totally iconic. There's just so many iconic moments, it's hard to pick one on that reason. Um, the other, uh, 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 but again, a lot of the solo moments are great, and I love the part, even though that part where you go first, is, he is not the first person to make that joke. The one that comes immediately to mind is Young Frankenstein, where, you know, I go is like, Great Master, it might be dangerous. Who go first? You know, I, I've seen that before. And it always makes me chuckle, because it's fun. But um, the, the one part that we haven't mentioned yet, the other just very simple line that Sola has that always stuck in my mind, we haven't even mentioned the Nazi saluting monkey yet. Um, there's that one little guy dressed as an organ grinder who has the monkey that they actually have the monkey give the Nazi suit. And apparently they have yeah. 20 takes to make it do it. But then later there's the part where the monkey, uh, where Andy's been uh, walking around with a date for a while. He finally is, throws it up in the air and Sola catches it and looks at the monkey. Bad dance. Yeah, this line always stuck in my mind. I was, was like, oh, okay, well, yeah. it's sinister yeah, too. They just yeah. like randomly poisoned dates, right? To try to kill this dude. And like, in they a public care. area too. Yeah, yeah, who they got? You know. Yeah. So I always thought that was pretty interesting too. So it's really hard yeah. to pick favorite. I was always sad <laughs> in the scene because when I was I was so young, I thought they killed the monkey. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I kind of like the monkey too. They oh, killed the boo. They killed the monkey. They killed the boo. <laughs> yes. Well, actually, I believe if I remember correctly, I think Frank Welker does do the vocalizations for the monkey, and he does vocalize. He does do the vocals for a boo in both versions of Aladdin. Um, but of course, Frank Welker is the go-to guy for random vocalization. Animal voiceover, yeah. yeah. He's Scooby-Doo, right? 
I think so, but he's, I mean, he did a bunch of Star Wars stuff, too. I mean, you know, he's uh, just a, a big, uh, yeah, he's listed uh, on IMDb as special vocal effects. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, um, vocals indeed. Yeah. So, um, oh, yeah, this is good. They've got Glenn Randall Jr. was one of the stunt people. Terry Leonard was the other stunt person I was trying to think of earlier. Um, he did that one, uh, um, underneath the Jeep. Yeah, yeah. And, and like I said, my favorite revisit of that was in Maverick, where, you know, he goes under the carriage. And then when he comes back, what's with the wheel? Oh, there's nothing wrong with the wheel. I got a real good close look at the wheel from underneath. He's <laughs> 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 like, yeah, I bet you did. It's um, <laughs> kind of a treat. Yeah. So, um, I think then, if does anyone have any last-minute stuff they want to throw out? Any other... Uh, things that they wanted to mention that they would not have happened without Last Crusade or anything along those lines? Uh, I don't know about that, but I didn't get to list, I don't think, my favorite scene. And Oh, oh I'm sorry. Oh, no worries, buddy. Uh, to be fair, I was interjecting a lot, so you, you know, it'd be fair to think that I'd already said it. Basically, I think a lot of scenes in Indiana Jones, like each movie almost has their sort of given scenes, right? Like, of course, that's iconic and amazing. And I think my favorite whole sequence in the thing is just that first bit where, you know, he, they first escape the tomb and they're kind of like, well, the arc's going to, or they first get done with the fist fight, excuse me, where they blow up the plane and shit. And they're like, well, or Sella's telling them, like, they're putting it on a truck. You know, thank God you're not dead, sort of thing. And Indy just says some shit like, I'm just sort of making this up as I go. And then it just the next scene is him tearing ass out of there on a horse. Mm -hmm. that, that's one of my favorite sequences in the movie for some reason. Because you got to just imagine that he, like, was wandering around trying to find a way to catch up to these guys. And he just found a random horse and jacked it. <laughs> I Well, we were talking about things that get carried through. That's one of his kind of almost catchphrases. Right. I don't know. I'll think of something. Oh, and I love it. It makes him such a human character. That plus a lot of the things we've mentioned tonight, you know. But and that also ties it back to that Western thing that you know Davis brought up, and in, in you guys at various points, like this isn't that far off from the days of Billy the Kid. It's 1936 or something, like 50 years prior. Real cowboys tearing ass around, like trying to catch up to trains or cars or whatever the hell I imagine. So, mm -hmm. uh, oh, yeah, I like that whole sequence for some reason. And watching it again this time, it was one that definitely stood out to me as being like, damn, that is like unrecognized as being as iconic as it is. Just Indy tearing ass out of that like workers' camp on the horse, you know. <laughs> right. So that'd be mine. Mm -hmm. Yeah, to me, uh, Indiana Jones has always, always had kind of a Western flair to him. It does. Uh, kind of like the kind of like the Last Man on Earth kind of a vibe, uh, <laughs> uh, where where he's like the lone wolf going uh, going around and uh, just trying to be the uh, the last gunfighter. 
Mm-hmm. I think it definitely has tinges of that, like, the last days, the Wild West of archaeology thing going on through it, you know? Mm-hmm. But David Livingston. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, nowadays, you don't see motherfuckers running around gray and like they did in the Indiana Jones days, but that was kind of a real thing for a while, which, you know, I like those moments where you can see that sort of gritty, dusty, western sort of element in it, you know? Mm-hmm. Well, and it is the last adventure. It is nice that he has that sort of, um, he's not in it just for the money or really in it for the glory. Like, he actually, he he is a scientist. He believes in study and learning from things. And I I like that. I like having an academic as a protagonist. Um, and he has that sense, too, sorry to cut you off, but he has that sense, too, that, like, the adventure of it is just as big a part of it for him as it is for us, too, you know? Right. Oh, yeah, I mean, his, his phrase, it belongs in a museum, that's just, mm-hmm. like, uh, universal. And it's, so you, Dr. Jones. That's <laughs> uh, quality. Then, then you look at the, uh, at the spinoffs. I mean, we're looking at, the, since we're wrapping things up, if we look at a lot of the spinoffs, we have um, the uh, Nicolas Cage uh, series, The National Treasure. Mm-hmm. Uh, we had, uh, mm-hmm. of course, the video games. Uh, you have the obvious ones like uh, Pitfall that were mentioned, or series that were more dramatic, I, like uh, Tomb Raider and Uncharted. Mm-hmm. Even stuff like that, Bandicoot. Or uh, <laughs> Night in the Museum is right. kind of a spin-off, sort of. Well, I don't think that there was a series recently like a... The Mummy. The, oh, uh, the, yeah. uh, the, mu- the, the Mummy, yes. Yeah. I would say The Librarian. Probably. I yeah. Mean, yeah. I don't know. Like that cool scholar thing. Doing I mean, yeah. That one. Well, the one that was more direct, one of the people who was in line to play solo... And couldn't because of his uh, commitments to the show Taxi. Uh, again, we almost had Tom Selleck as Indiana Jones, and he couldn't because of Magnum PI. We almost had Solo played by Danny DeVito, and he had to go oh, and wow. Taxi instead. That would actually have been cool. I would have loved to see that. But, but again, you, you kind of got to see it. Because later, Danny DeVito was was playing the sidekick in Romance in the Stone, which is sure. very yeah, much sure. a flavor. And uh, I, I love that one. He's doing it with an hour. The, 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 the uh, note is in the vein. For a moment, I was say Christopher Lloyd was to play Indiana Jones. Wow. Maybe in his going south days, maybe, but... Another one we haven't mentioned yet is Firewalker that I think cashed in a little bit on the Indiana Jones thing. Oh, yeah, Chuck Norris, Chuck Norris. Another one directly back in the Spielberg little house, one of his underrated films was his version of Adventures of Tintin. I think that one is very much in the same vein. Um, There's a a great anime called Alice in the Lilia. So there's a lot of good... But oh, Tintin no. is much older if you look at it because I mean, it existed before. Oh, so Tintin is older, but and, uh, in a lot of 
in a lot of Ebert's reviews of yeah. Spielberg's movies, he mentions something called Boy's Life, which I guess is like a Boy Scout magazine or whatever. Right. Yeah. And yes. he compares he compares like the Indiana Jones and just kind of adventure themes to sort of like the exaggerated like adventures you'd read and stuff like that. That's yeah. magazine stuff, dude. Like exactly. that's something that I've gotten into huge mainly because Conan was what led me into that stuff because well, actually, Robert Howard. The special Spielberg probably would have grown up with. I mean, I grew up also reading Hardy Boys. I'm sure he did. That's probably a big part of the influence. Right. <laughs> well, you can see some of the, the exotic elements, oh, yeah. I think, of... I mean, I imagine they were present in other pulp stories at the time, but Robert E. Howard has his whole, like, Middle East sort of, you know, that encompassed, like, China and Thailand and, you know... The sandy part of the Middle East, you know, and, and, and that stuff, I think, back then definitely was, like, staples of pulp magazines. So, even the, down to the settings in the Indiana Jones movies, for the most part, I think, come a lot from that, like all of it, you know. And as far as the uh, Bond influence, apparently there's a scene early in Raiders where it's where Marcus comes to Indy's house to talk to him about the uh, task. Apparently, in the original version, Indy had a female color at that time in his room, and uh, they cut that from the final scene because they didn't want to make him too much of a playboy. But I'm like, well, it's just another example, though, of where Spielberg definitely had Bond on the mind, and they were... see it through a lot I really think that opening scene, which I had not realized the club was called Obi-Wan Kenobi. The club <laughs> is in temple. Uh, it really feels like a Bond scene. It really, really does. And it For like, sure. Yeah. <coughs> but, um, Basically in the Bond scene. Same it, thing with the car chase in this without like the extreme stunts and stuff. But like there's like that whole point where he drives underneath the awnings as those workers are... He almost wastes a bunch of workers. You know, and I like wonder, that whole sequence has been done in Bond movies, for sure. And I'm more of a rager, but part of the reason they cashed this crusade was that whole idea, too. Of course, that is one of Connie's yeah. great roles. <laughs> it's too on the nose to be a coincidence, one, you know. One last thing, I don't know, I guess I, it would probably be nice to mention this again if we ever do Last Crusade, but I do want to mention there's the joke at the very end where you named the dog Indiana. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> hey, yes, that was a good joke. What's interesting on that note is that George Lucas's dog that he always had um, yeah. uh, uh, driving with him, He his name was in fact Indiana Smith. Or yeah. And that's that's where I was going with that. Yes, last <laughs> crusade, the dog at the beginning is the same breed of dog that Lucas owns. Um, but yeah, I I found that kind of interesting because I had not known that little tidbit, and I was like, oh, okay, so they literally did name him after. The dog. <laughs> 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 I thought that was kind of fun, <laughs> but. Um, <laughs> And uh, and and yes, it was originally Indiana Smith, and Spielberg's like, I don't like that. It doesn't really work. Um, they're like, well, how about Jones? Okay, yeah, it doesn't have the same ring. Yeah, 
But then again, if he'd grown up with Indiana Smith, you'd probably think of that. So, you know. Maybe. That's a whole other discussion we could have of things that True. sound good to the year linguistically or whatever. And yeah. I think Indiana Jones might be one of those great examples of a film title or like a, t- a, a character name that and the really sounds good. The actual <laughs> of the film are really good. Like Raiders of the Lost Ark is just a really good title. And it does sound like something you would have seen back in the 30s series. Yes, exactly. Same thing with Temple. Even up to Crystal Skull. Yeah. Isn't that one called Kingdom of the Crystal yeah. Skull? Like, that sounds like a, a title of a pulp magazine right. fiction story. You know? Oh, yeah. Yep, that was the idea. Yeah. <laughs> of course, this well, one is not official. Indiana Jones and, like, the others are. This one is just Raiders of the Lost Ark. But, you know... It's become known as. <laughs> well, I mean, the way they stylized that later, where it was like Indiana Jones and the like that that goes with the whole pulp sort of fiction theme, Very I guess. So yeah. 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 So, any final thoughts then? I feel like it's good length of time to have final thoughts. <laughs> yeah, I think I think. We definitely have gone been, uh, over normal. I've been looking for <laughs> I've been looking for some place to say this for a while, but we were talking about um, kind of cultural like influences and stuff, right. like things mm-hmm. from Indiana Jones mm-hmm. and um, in the Star Wars comics that Disney started putting out. They have a Darth Vader series, and one of the characters is Doctor Aphra, who's set up as basically evil Indiana Jones. And, like, she's introduced, like, stealing some relic, and it's like, it doesn't belong in a museum, it belongs in the hands of a private collector who can truly appreciate it. (laughs) That's awesome. Right. (laughs) Yeah, I could see that. The dark side of archaeology, yes. (laughs) (laughs) But, uh... Alright, so I guess we have time for the outros, then. Um, so... Dustin, you wanna lead us off? Oh, uh, I am the crypto. I am uh, Dustin. I'm a horror collector here in Milwaukee, and I have a YouTube channel called The Crypt of Horrors, where I show off my collection. And I've also been doing uh, Blu-ray and movie reviews very recently. So recently, I think I only have like one, maybe two. Um, yeah, but I'm I'm writing a script for the blob for my review of the Blob, which Shout Factory put on Blu-ray. And long story short, it's awesome. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm going to go into some detail on that. So it's it's pretty great. Like, wow. Uh, so that should be dropping, I think, kind of soon-ish this week. Uh, I also have an Instagram for my horror collection, uh, The Crypt of Horrors as well. Like, I'm just kind of using that name everywhere. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I don't post on Instagram very much. But if I get more than 159 followers, you know, that might incentivize me a little bit better <laughs> to get my ass in gear. So, and you can also find me on Twitter, uh, hanging out and talking about horror. And, uh, yeah, I, I do a lot of stuff. So. Mm-hmm. Alright. Uh, no. Uh, I guess, you know. 
just sub Rebel Gaming Club. Set and Sin vs. the World, Crypto Horror, and Delusions of Grandeur. I'm occasionally putting out reviews, as I always do. It's real infrequent, because, you know, sometimes I just drink and get unmotivated. But I also do Game Boy reviews, just retro game reviews in general. Uh, most, like, pertinent upcoming things, I'm doing a review for The Strangers and The Strangers Pray at Night. So those will be up on the channel here eventually. If you're curious about my shooting thoughts on those. Um, <laughs> and just, you know, obviously thanks a ton for including me in this, guys. This shit's awesome. Definitely. I mean, the more the better. <laughs> Dustin's Banana Splits review will make you need to see the movie, too. So get out there and check that out like immediately. <laughs> it's a pretty good movie. I love the movie. I had me buy it uh, on the uh, Best Buy. What's that, buddy? I said I love the movie. <laughs> <laughs> I'm yeah. picking it up as soon as I can find it for a good price. Uh, the the Blu-ray has been 10 bucks at um, Best Buy for a while. Oh. I just got to make it up there, man. I live in the middle of nowhere, so like uh, Best Buy is like 40 minutes from me. So if I go up there, I have to be looking for more than just a banana splits movie, unfortunately. But I, I'm sure if I, I took a trip up there, it would be lucrative for all involved. Um, but yeah, definitely check out these guys' channels. They all do great work. It's mainly the reason I'm here is because of just the awesome reviews that they do, especially Septimson versus the world. Check that shit out. There is a small part of me that wants to go get banana splits from Walmart just because it seems wrong to do that. <laughs> I've done that before. I've, I've bought stuff because, like, I bought hard candy from Walmart because it amused me to do so. Uh, <laughs> hard candy is a rough one. <laughs> anyway, it's uh, random. <laughs> That's like kind of life. Oh, go ahead. <laughs> uh, I'm Septim Sen of Septim Sen versus the world. Uh, I also bought Banana Splits uh, due to Dustin's recommendation. Uh, that one and another one that were uh, that had been reduced, and I can't remember what the other one was for the life of me. Um, but in uh, any case, uh, I want a channel that's uh, dedicated to physical media. And the love of physical media, we uh, we enjoy the preservation of film uh, other than in streaming, and we have wrapped up our Halloween, unfortunately, uh, for a uh, another year uh, last week. Uh, <laughs> where we wrapped up with the wonderful movie uh, indie film Ten Thirty One. Uh, it is a great anthology horror of course there is a sequel to 1031 that has been released and uh we'll hopefully be getting to that sometime in the future the um of course november is criterion month and because of that uh, we had to do our uh, usual criterion uh, thing where we talk about 10 more films we feel need to be uh, made criterion and um, we've been effective at converting a couple from our efforts <laughs> not that they listen to us but you never know we can always pretend <laughs> and of course uh, finally I do uh, work for uh, Inside Movies Galore occasional reviews, occasional discussions and 
of course, I help with the schedule. So next time's movie will be Clerks by Kevin Smith, which is, of course, great timing as the James Silent Bob second movie is in limited release and hopefully in full release soon. Uh, so if you haven't seen it, you've got a chance, of course, get out to see that bad boy uh, so that you can watch it for me as I have had no opportunity to do so. Uh, the, and of course, lastly, I cannot express any more um, love for uh, the uh, Drucker Master Studios because some of these... Uh, some of these things, like the Fangoria reads, uh, the Game Boy reviews, they're awesome things. If you do get a chance to check out what you have seen, check them out. Send them your love, and hopefully we'll, we'll get continuations on some of these that are really awesome series. Well, thanks, dude. You guys are breaking my fucking heart over here with the, the Fangoria love. I didn't realize people liked that as much as they did at the time. I kept doing this, but... They're definitely coming back as well as like full set of gores on. So I've been listening to the channel ever since I knew it existed after uh, being introduced to you through the Rebel Gaming Club, which also listen to those guys too. They're awesome. <laughs> they do some fun stuff here. Um, and I'm gonna I'll go and do mine, and then Dave, I'll hand it back to you to, to you can send us on out. Um, Sounds good. I I'm Kodabuki Jake, and I also. Uh, here in Central Virginia, I also frequently guest on Septum Sin vs. the World. I am likewise a very avid collector of all things physical media, um, and not just movies and DVDs, I got books and music and all kinds of fun stuff. Um, in fact, this week's pickup video is decidedly a uh, different format than is usual for me, so that was kind of fun. Um, and yes, the Criterion thing... Criterion has it in their mission statement that they try to keep things in print. It's one of the reasons we like them and like to support them, because it's nice to keep things in print. Uh, unfortunately, the mouse does not agree, and neither do a lot of uh, anime companies, and this is sad. But otherwise, <laughs> a lot of good things get that release. I'm looking at that Godzilla set that just came out. Yeah, I got that on. Uh, I got that on Friday. Oh, very good. Yeah, that's really yeah. that's sad. I just kind of fooled it. But, um, it is really, it. really big. You'll need it a lot is. of space. It is and very flat. <laughs> it's supposed to look like it looks like a, like an album or like a yearbook or something. It's really weird. But um, at any rate, uh, <laughs> and I do have my own nature theme channel, Kodabuki Jake, on YouTube. I very, very seldom update. I keep promising there will be videos. There will be videos. I just don't know when. Uh, I'm, I'm not as good at YouTubing as the others here, but I, I do try. <laughs> oh, fuck, I'm terrible and, at it, dude. And, that's, um, okay. that's okay, I'm backlogged, so uh, so I, I feel you there, too. So. And I, will <laughs> mention, I will mention as well that Brandon actually was the one who suggested this month's theme, which is the things we are thankful for, which I think was a pretty cool theme. And, of course, this was one of my suggestions here, but... I am very interested in all the ones that are coming up this month, and hopefully you all will be as well. It's a fun, random assortment. I'm happy to mind. 
And uh, well, hand it off to Dave then. Yeah, all right. Dave. Yep, I know. Uh, my my uh, <laughs> mic popped out for a moment. Uh, but in any case, um, my name is David Streggy. I run Inside Movies Galore, but I also run it with all of you fine folks. So uh, thank you for joining my uh, merry b uh, band of, uh, of uh, film miscreants. Uh, yeah, we're, we're all weirdos, uh, Mo, so I think you fit in with us. So uh, in any ca case, I... Uh, also run Delusions of Grandeur, which is a, um, uh, a, a YouTube channel devoted to film reviews and film discussions. Uh, as of late, I've been uh, I've been having some discussions with, with a very good friend, a friend of mine who uh, it was in a production that I had executively produced called Dark Zone 13. And uh, he comes all the way from Croatia, so definitely check out some of the, uh, uh, those discussions, since uh, I think Mo will be joining us on our oh, next one. Our boy uh, Boris. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, uh, also, um, I guess uh, I can somewhat... I've been researching some of the films behind the American Horror Project, so stay tuned for... Uh, a review on both volumes one and two, including all of the extras, since all of you seem to be darn tootin' on trying to tell me that extras are important. So, um, uh, I'm going to go on about them. Well, so, uh, extras, there's no reason to actually buy the disc. Not really. There is a point where you actually enjoy the film. <laughs> well, owning the film is a is a good thing in and of itself, depending on the rarity and availability. But having the extras does give extra incentive for films that are in wider release, uh, such as say maybe I don't know Titanic would be a good example. Uh, Titanic is available on. I think you could get Titanic on your toaster if you tried hard enough. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know, if you boil it down, too, we could all just steal these motherfuckers. I mean, none of these movies need to be bought, but we buy them to support the people that do them and to support yeah, the companies that release them, you know, and, and uh, nothing pisses me off more than something with an elaborate slipcover that I have to unwrap and pull my shit out of there just to find out that the only special features are the goddamn trailer. You know, so, so I agree. With that. Yeah, if, you, if you're gonna, if you're gonna go exactly, like making a fucking release of something that is is playing at being like a release of something, you know, instead of just being like a budget. Should at least have the commentary be more than just your perspective career. They're not doing anything anyways. They can sit down and watch the movie and talk about it. It's not gonna. Kill I mean. While, while you're actually watching the movie, comment, like, where you were, what you were doing, okay? Uh, was my wife giving me a massage? You know, tell me something, you know? The only thing I found very puzzling, like I said, the set that I have of the four Indiana Jones movies is pretty awesome, but it, puzzlingly enough, does not have audio commentary tracks. It's weird, but it does have... Bit by bit, department by department featurettes, or stuff about the 
makeup, stuff about the music, stuff. You know, and that's kind of cool because you actually learn a lot about the craft and the industry. And that's kind of cool to get those kind of things. Yeah. My indie set has like nothing, dude. The the special fucking feature is exclusive access to the Indiana Jones DVD website. Okay, <laughs> what am I gonna do with that? Like, <laughs> no one cares. <laughs> Oh, uh, well, I mean, it's like, uh, well, when you go with commentaries, I mean, it depends on the commentary. Like, Ghostbusters has one of the more entertaining commentaries, because they do it mystery science theater style, <laughs> which is really cool. There's so, where they comment in character. <laughs> so, it's, it's really worthwhile to check out your extras when it comes to certain ones. In anime, if you get extras in anime, you get, like, an amazing set, because they don't, they don't come Crap, right? yeah, textless yeah. opening seems to be the <laughs> alrighty well in any case um, definitely check out some of my reviews uh, 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 what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to revamp, uh, uh, revamp and place all my reviews from my uh, from inside because I used to do it under inside movies galore uh, so I'm transferring all of my reviews have already done to Delusions of Grandeur and trying to produce new material at the same time. So, <laughs> uh, since uh, Kitty at one point in time said, let's keep everything separate for, uh, and uh, and uh, let's do uh, inside, uh, let's keep inside movies galore, inside movies galore. So, that's what I'm doing. So, in any case, I mean, like, you wouldn't want someone thinking every one of those reviews is a two-hour podcast kind of thing. Uh, well, yeah. So, in any, uh, in any case, it's just that some of them will still say inside movies galore in the front of them. That's all. <laughs> but, moving on, definitely have some more cool stu uh, stuff coming out. I actually, I, I think that uh, I'll ha have some cool stuff to say about so, uh, some of the older films that have come out on Arrow uh, uh, recently, so, uh, so it's definitely new territory for me, talking about uh, the special features behind some of these films, so, uh, so uh, besides the films, so definitely check that out when, uh, once it comes out. It's going to be like a two-part episode thing, so in any case, check it out. In any case, uh, next week we have uh, Clerks, is it correct? Mm -hmm. Yep. Yes, clerks. Alrighty, I'll have to honor to wear my, uh, stuck my copy. It's trying to find women in the world, man, but not all of them bring you lasagna at work, you know. I, I see it. I must, uh, I must climb a mountain to go get it, but, uh, but I see it. <laughs> See, see now what we yes. should do as a group is we should uh, all attempt the Clerks animated series on top of it. Uh, uh, and then sure that from what I remember, it's yeah, like four six episodes. It's six episodes, yeah. It's very strange. It has a flashback episode as its second episode. It, and, uh, it wouldn't be crazy to think we could each pick a favorite episode of the animated series to plug when we do the clerks discussion. See, I should just watch one episode, uh, at least one episode of the clerks animated series in preparation. <laughs> I think we can agree on that one. <laughs> if if everyone has a copy, uh, I got to figure out where I stuck my, uh, my copy of that. I see where my clerks is. But I don't know where my animated is. 
There's jokes we can make about that. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> All, right. All right. Everyone say good night. Good night. Good night. Good night. My mother thanks you. My father thanks you. My sister thanks you. And I thank you. <laughs>